Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning I'll be doing a reading um, from Luke 10, uh, 1 to 12. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for the town. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you kind of get... Uh, caught on Facebook, endlessly scrolling through funny things. Uh, yeah, uh, no, no one's ever experienced that before. Uh, one of the things that is a, it's a kind of a, a, almost a sickness uh, is I get really caught on looking at church signs. Now, I have no intention of having a church sign. Some of them are just incredibly funny. It seems to be an American thing more than anywhere else. So I don't know what it is, but for some reason, uh, Americans like to have their signs. They're often a bit cringy or, you know, sort of dad jokey. And so just a couple that I've got that I thought I might share for a bit of levity. Uh, the first we've got here is, is wanted singers in choir within. Yes, that's right. In choir. Yeah, it's great. Uh, another one that we have is Middletown Baptist Church. Uh, and that says, whoever keeps praying for snow, we're impressed. Now pray for world peace. Uh, obviously, they were experiencing a bit of snow uh, in that year. Uh, then we also, the next one is, tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. Uh, then we come to one, which is one of those examples where I don't know that the sign writers thought about how it would be read. And so St. Martha's Episcopal Church wrote, we love hurting people. We love hurting people. I wonder what your experience of church is. I wonder if it's a, it, on one hand you can read and go, oh, that's a bit funny. They've obviously made a mistake there. But then I'm also aware that if you were to actually ask some people outside of the church, if you were to ask people who might be uh, completely disconnected from church or maybe they were connected with church for a time and have since walked away, that would actually look at this sign and go, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, that, that seems fairly fair to my experience. Uh, unfortunately, there are people who would actually look at this and go, that's right. 
The church does love hurting people. So I wonder, is, does the church help people who are hurting? Or does the church hurt people? And how do we sort of make sure that we have an awareness of what that looks like and, and what we can do uh, around that space? Uh, we continue a new series today called Sent. It's our second week of the series, Sent. Looking at evangelism in the 21st century. Uh, how is it that we actually help people discover Jesus in the world today? How, how do we go about being his church? And being his church in a way that actually brings the hope of the gospel to a world in need. Well, the question that we'd be looking at is this. How do we represent Christ to a world that often seems uninterested? I don't know if you've noticed or if maybe you've sort of taken some time to look at it. A lot of people, it's not that they don't like Christianity. For a lot of people today, it's, it just never even crosses their mind. For, for a lot of people in our culture today, church, the Christian faith, uh, or things around that actually have no bearing on their life whatsoever. And so if we're going to reach the world for Jesus. And, and that is what the scriptures teach us. That is what Jesus called us to. As he was about to depart, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. If we're going to do that, how do we do that? And what can we learn from the teachings of Jesus that will set us up to do that well? I'd love you to join with me. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 10. It was just read for us. Uh, so Luke chapter 10, we're going to pick it up with verses 1 to 4. It'll be up on the screens. You can obviously bring it up on your phones or Bibles or, or whatever other devices you might have. Um, we're just going to take our time to sort of walk through it uh, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Now, there's one thing we have to be aware of when we're looking at some of the teachings of Jesus. There's kind of two levels that we have to be aware of. On the one hand, we can absolutely look at what was going on and we can get principles from that that apply today. But we also have to be careful to make sure that we are looking at what Jesus was saying for that time and work out the difference between what it meant then and what it might look like today. And so I'll try and unpack that a bit as we work through. But starting off with Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 4. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his, into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lamb among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. We'll just pause there and then just dig in a little bit. Uh, one of the things that we see here is that Jesus' followers were sent in pairs to where he was going. Jesus' followers were sent as pairs to where he was going. Uh, a couple of things to, to notice that, Melody, if you could just move forward to that one. Uh, so first, he sent them in pairs. There's actually something about the Christian faith that whenever you see Jesus, so when Jesus came down, he didn't just didn't just get one disciple, he got 12 disciples. He didn't just send them alone, he sent them in pairs that he wanted his followers to do mission together. 
That doesn't mean that there aren't times that people went out by themselves. Though generally speaking, even when you take someone like Paul, we only hear of you know, Paul's missionary journeys. When Paul went on his missionary journeys, he had a whole group of people that he went traveling with him. That there was actually something important about doing mission together. That you can encourage one another. And certainly in this case, when Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves, that means he's not sending them to like easy work. That when we journey together, we can actually support one another and encourage one another. And the other thing that was clear about what was going on here and what's specific to this but still has application beyond that is that he would send them to where he was about to go. So they were going out in advance. They were talking about the, the advanced search party. And he would send them into the towns and then he would come behind after them. Now, he's not sending them to do all the hard work so he can just come through and reap the rewards. He is sending them out to sort of get a bit of a feel for what this town is like, what's going on, how welcome are we here, what's it going to mean for Jesus, and how can we get things started. But one of the things that we can also take from that for today is that in any mission or in any place that we are involved in, anywhere that we might be sent, any work that we might be doing, any people that we might be trying to reach or help them come to know Jesus, we have to realize that we're the before people. That we actually need Jesus to come in after. That we're actually not going to do it all and it's not our job to go out and make sure everyone comes to know and makes a decision based on that. That they actually need to meet Jesus. And so part of our work is sort of come in and, and do some of the groundwork and do some of the, the leading and the talking and the sharing and the guiding and helping them sort of see what things can look like and then pray that Jesus would come through after us and help share the next steps. Uh, continuing on in verse 5, we see this. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, what we see going on here is that Jesus' followers were instructed to find places that welcomed them. That, that when they were going out, he was actually encouraging them to go and discern, is this a place that I am welcome? Is this a place that has a bit of an openness? Is this a place that might be willing to actually go a bit deeper in faith? Now, they had to go and start sharing first to find out if that was the case. Uh, they would go and they would talk about, you know, is there peace here? And if there's not peace, well, then we need to move on. So it doesn't mean that they never came across places that weren't welcoming. But there was an encouragement to actually recognize that Jesus was going to send them to places and they were to look for welcome. They were to look for open hearts. And that when they found those, they were to plonk themselves down. They weren't just sort of flit on from house to house and move around. If they found a place of welcome, they were told to stop, go and eat, share, spend some time with those people, get to know them, 
spend and build a relationship with those people. Now, in this case, it's a short-term approach because the reality is they're only going to be there for a short time and then they're going to be heading off and Jesus is going to come in after them. But we absolutely take from this the idea that this is part of how we approach evangelism now. That it's not just about going and scattershot sharing it with everyone that we come across, but actually looking for places and people that are open and willing to hear the gospel. And sometimes that's going to take some time. Sometimes it's going to take actually bedding down for a number of weeks or months or even years and building relationship and having that time and that process to sort of work with them over time in the hope that people might come to know Jesus. Now, this is not the only way that Jesus sees people come to know him. Of course, there are examples of times where someone's met on the street, they come to know Jesus, and and that happens. That definitely does happen. But it's not the main model that we actually see taking place, and it's not the main model we see even in the early church. It was looking for people that are open and looking to journey and helping them take whatever their next step might be. Uh, Luke 10, verse 10 to 12 says this. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, okay, so that's going to happen. When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Uh, This is one of those verses where we actually see a side of Jesus that sometimes we like to almost pretend isn't there. Uh, But he, he says to them, not everyone was going to welcome the followers of Jesus. Not everyone was going to welcome them. And he actually gives them instructions to go into their streets and you know, physically wipe the dust off their feet as a sign to them and say, you are missing something significant. Uh, exactly how this plays out in our current context is I'm not entirely sure, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I really haven't taken the habit of if I have some friends or family or work colleagues who aren't interested I don't really make it a habit of standing up in board meetings or in friendship groups and saying, oh, and the day of Sodom is going to be better for you. I don't really do that. I'm not entirely sure that's what we're getting at here. This is where, again, you've got to look at what was going on at the time. But to be fair to Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. And there is a level of when you're not welcomed, in some way being able to help those people or that time or whatever it might look like, have an understanding of just what they're saying no to. And being maybe a little bit edgy at times in the appropriate context. And again, it's going to depend on relationship. And if you're building a relationship over time, that changes things. They're on a quite you know, short deadline, so they're making very snap decisions about whether or not this is a place of welcome or not. And it changes a little bit as we look at this. But I am convinced, and this is not because it's just because something I've come up with, but because all the teachings I've had from other places, through different studies and places, that this model hasn't really changed. That, that this model of going out looking for welcome and that being one of the ways that is predominantly used 
in determining where we actually expend our energy is a significant part of how we are to do evangelism in the 21st century. To be looking to build those relationships. We have a bit more time than the followers of Jesus had in that time. We can bed down. If you're living in a community and you're going to be there for 5, 10, 15 years, you can bed down and get to know the neighbours. You can get to know your work colleagues. You can spend some time actually building and catalyzing, and also recognising that people's situation change. So there might be some people that when you meet are completely uninterested in God. And so you may not actually expend a lot of energy trying to convince them about Jesus. But then something might happen in their life. And then all of a sudden that switches. And you now have an opening to share Jesus with them. One of the key things I was actually working out, what is it? Where are they up to? So just as Jesus sent out the 72 in pairs as a representative of his kingdom, he sends us. That is part of what you sign up to when you decide to follow Jesus. Yes, you get salvation. Yes, you get restoration through life and faith in Jesus. And part of that calling is that you are actually sent. That wherever you go, you're actually taking the kingdom of God. My favorite analogy for this, because I love Milo, and I'm sure I've used it before, but it's, it, it works for me. You can work it out. I think I've used it a few weeks ago, but it works. Is heaven is a giant thing of Milo. And it's a never-ending tub of Milo, and you get to have Milo forever. Insert your favorite food here, or favorite drink, or whatever it might be that you would just love to just eat and eat and eat. Well, then this, the kingdom of God, is you're taking little cups of that favorite beverage. Maybe it's Coke, or maybe it's Pepsi, maybe it's a, a hot dog, or maybe it's a really nice Italian salad or pasta, or whatever that might be. And everywhere you go, you are taking bits of that kingdom. Because they were to say, the kingdom of God has come near. Who's come near? Them, the followers of Jesus. They are the ones who bring the kingdom into that place. So wherever you go, if you've decided to follow Jesus, you are representing the kingdom and bringing it near to people. And so we bring the same message. Jesus will be here soon. Now, how soon is soon? We don't know. But that was the message of Jesus. Both soon in the literal sense that he was coming in the near future, but also in the sense that we've been promised that Jesus will return soon. Soon to God is very different than soon to me, but hey, that's a different sermon for a different day. But we bring that message. Jesus will be here soon. Have you thought about what you think about faith? Have you made a decision about where you stand with God? Because he will be here soon. How do we identify people of peace? That's what this is generally described as being. It's identifying people of peace, people who are open, people who are welcome. Uh, the first step is this. People of peace are people that welcome you. Now, that might even just be into a friendship. That might be people who are just, you know, okay with having a conversation with you. But they welcome you. They're interested in you. 
They're happy to sort of get to know you and be friends with you. Uh, people of peace are people that you may... Next one. Sorry, my clicker's not working today, as often has happened lately. Uh, people of peace are people that you may be a part of their journey towards Jesus. But you might only be a part of it. So they're, they're people that you kind of get a sense that, that you can help them maybe take the next step. It may not be long-term. It might just be a short-term arrangement. You might be going somewhere really temporarily and go, you know what, I don't need to get invested here because I'm only going to be here for a short time. But Jesus might actually have some people of peace for you to just take that little bit for it. And that might be someone who's a person of peace for you. Uh, people of peace require investment over time. It might be short-term. It might be long-term. But actually being willing to invest over time and identifying what's actually going to happen here. So I have a person who's a person of peace. I've determined that they're someone who I had good interactions with. They came along to my birthday party and I had no idea that they were even likely to do that. I kind of gave a really wide open invitation and I got really surprised when they actually came. But we don't have lots of ongoing conversations and beyond my birthday party, we haven't really caught up other than at the place that I interact with them. But I know there's someone that I feel a conviction from God is someone to just be gently walking alongside and looking for opportunities to see what might be the next step in helping them towards Jesus. Uh, where might you find people of peace? Where are the sort of places or where you might build these relationships? Well, one place is in permanent relationships. So if you've got if you've got friends and family, and okay, some friends are only temporary, and it depends on where you live and that. Some friends are permanent. You know, some friends you're going to have till the day you die. Now, family again, that can be transient depending on your family dynamics, but generally speaking, right, family is a relatively permanent relationship. And you might find that there are friends or family that are going to be a 5, 10, 15, 20-year investment where you just are there, you're present, you're friendly, you get to know them. Family members that don't welcome you, probably not people of peace. Family members that welcome you, that are friendly towards you, but don't know Jesus, that might be where you invest your time. You also might find people of peace in passing relationships. Now, the shortest version of this might be, yes, you can find a person of peace on a plane. I'm not that plane evangelist. It's not something I do. I'm very much a sit on my seat, sort of look to the corner, help no one sees me. But sometimes God may just put that chatty person next to you who's open for a conversation. And once you get past that, maybe it's actually an opening from God. Or maybe it's just a chatty person. You won't know until you actually talk with them. But look for those passing relationships. Maybe it's a sports club that you're part of or a team. Or, or maybe it's a workplace. And again, depending on how you are in your workplace and what that looks like, looking for those opportunities. Who welcomes you in those environments? And then another way of finding people of peace is through proclamation. That's just a fancy word for sharing the gospel. Uh, there's a lot of examples in the New Testament where people just went out and shared the gospel. And in the sharing, they decided and determined who was open to going deeper, who was actually interested in hearing more. 
Now, they also found the people that threw, you know, fruit at them and those sort of things. But it was only by actually taking that risk and sharing the gospel that they were able to find who was open. And sometimes you would be surprised. Sometimes it's not the person you expect. And you never would have shared the gospel with them if it was just about where they were at. But in doing so, something broke down their walls. And you discovered that they were a person of peace. And so as you go about your different relationships, as you go about the different places that you go, have that idea of who are the people of peace here? In my workplace, who are those colleagues that perhaps might be open, maybe not today, but maybe in a month or three months or six months or 12 months or three years? In your families, in, in the other places you get involved in, always be on the lookout for people of peace. It only happens if we do it intentionally. It's actually pretty rare to accidentally share the gospel. Right? It can happen. You might share a story and not really realize what you're saying, and then they might hear something of Jesus in it. But generally speaking, you don't accidentally share the good news. You don't accidentally help them know. You might build a relationship accidentally, like I'm, I haven't been trying to get friends with this person, but they just keep coming along. But hey, I guess it happens. But you don't generally accidentally share the gospel. So one of the reasons why evangelism is so difficult in the 21st century and why it's so difficult for us as Christians is we actually kind of want it to accidentally happen. We, we don't want to have to take that risky step of saying and doing things and maybe risking the relationship from time to time and maybe accidentally stepping on some toes because they didn't quite realize where they were at. But having that intentional approach and thinking about looking for those people of peace is really important. So some key questions to ask yourself are this. Where is a person at and what is their next step? So if you've just met someone at work, probably don't invite them to be baptized tomorrow. That, that's probably, now unless they've you know, come to you and broken down in tears and shared the depths of their despair at their sin. and rah, 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 rah. Okay, That's probably not going to happen. One of the key things to do is work out who are, where, who are my people of peace and where are they at. Uh, when I was going through my, my theology studies, I had to study something called the angle scale. Now, I really liked the idea behind the angle scale, but it's really complex. And it's got numbers plus one and minus one and scales and all these things that I've never found helpful to actually help people understand this. And so one of my projects was to try and boil it down into something which is a bit simpler to follow. And in fact, it's at the very basis of a large part of the way we actually do church here. Right, so if we put that one up for me earlier, and it's basically there are, these are the different steps that people might take. Now, here's the key. The steps are linear. A person's journey almost always isn't. So the steps are linear. The general steps that a person needs to take are pretty much linear. But the order that people might take them, them often jumps around. And so you can't just go, oh, I'm going to force them into this paradigm. But it is helpful to know if someone's in one spot, the easiest step for them to take is the next one. It may not be what happens, but you can start from a place of intentionality. And so the way it works is this, is you might have someone who is completely 
uninterested in the gospel. Maybe they're interested in the news, so they're at least a person of peace, but they have nothing to do with God. They're happy to be friendly, but do not mention church. Do not mention Jesus. Do not mention any of that. Your hope and your prayer will simply be to have them be willing to connect. Their next step might just be that they're at least willing to maybe tolerate a conversation about that or or they're happy to hang out with you even though you talk about those things, even though those things might come up. Uh, Someone who's been willing to connect, maybe they've been hanging around for a while. Often what will happen when they're starting to journey towards Jesus is they'll start to ask questions. Again, still not ready to be baptized, still not ready to follow Jesus, probably not going to come to church next week, though this is where they start to maybe be open to it because they're spiritually seeking. You'll also often find this is where they start to explore all religion. And they'll start to explore, and you kind of start going, oh my goodness, what do I do? They're talking with these people who follow a different faith. Okay, one of the first things to do is go, great, they're actually acknowledging that spirituality is real. Given that so many people don't even accept spirituality, that's a really big step. So don't be too fearful. Take it as an opportunity to go, all right, they're spiritually seeking. I'm in, because I'm spiritually seeking. How can I help them here? When someone's spiritually seeking, somewhere after that point, the next step is to make a decision to follow Jesus. And you can't force it, you can't fabricate it, you can't make it happen. But look for opportunities where you can help them to start being discipled. And here's one of the things which I I found really encouraging. The disciples didn't know they were being discipled. Initially, they knew they were following a rabbi, but they didn't quite know what exactly they were discipled into. They didn't realize they were following the Savior. They just thought they were following a rabbi. They didn't realize they were following the Son of God. There will be actually people who start on the path of faith, actually start to learn about what it means to follow Jesus, maybe before they even recognize Jesus as their Savior. That you can actually help them take some steps towards that before they fully realize that Jesus is their saviour. And so, in case you hadn't put it together, this is the basis of our discipleship pathway. Our engage, encounter, equip. And engage is those first couple of steps, moving people from not interested to willing to connect, and then moving from willing to connect to spiritually seeking. So it's engaging people who are far from God. It's recognizing them and actually going, it's okay that you're there. We're going to help engage you. We're going to come to you because you have no interest in coming to us. And so we look to engage in that space. Then we hope to create environments and build relationships that enable people to encounter God. Can't fake it, can't force it, can't fabricate it but we can intentionally create spaces where it's more likely to happen. And then when people have decided to follow Jesus, we look to equip them for a lifelong journey. So as a church, we want to journey with people towards Jesus. That is our mission. That's the whole reason we exist. Everything we do, and sometimes it might be a bit tenuous and you kind of go, how does that fit there? I can tell you that it does because we're actually incredibly intentional. Everything we do is about journeying with people 
towards Jesus. But that's journeying from a place of complete disinterest all the way up until I'm just about Jesus myself. I don't think we've got anyone there just yet, but maybe we'll work towards that. And that's the journey. So what does journeying with your people of peace look like? A few things just to take away with you. Firstly, who are the people you are hoping to journey with towards Jesus? I asked you to think about this last week. I'm going to ask you again this week. I'm probably going to ask you to do it again next week because it needs to happen intentionally. Name them. Pray for them regularly. If you've got a prayer journal, put their names in your prayer journal. If it's something you do when you wake up in the morning, make sure that you're praying for these people. No one can stop you praying for them. It's a free thing that you can do. So do it intentionally. Do it by name. Don't just, I pray for my work colleagues. Pray for a name. Uh, secondly, identify where you perceive them to be. Are they completely uninterested? Are they willing to connect? Are they maybe spiritually seeking? Maybe you've got some people who've been discipled in the past. Maybe they've been in church in the past and they've sort of stepped out for some reason. Where are they at? What would it look like to call them back to the faith that they lost? And again, recognize some people are going to jump steps. Go with it. People will go where they go. But work towards being intentional about taking those steps. What step are you encouraging them to take? What step are you encouraging them to take? And if I always be prepared for unexpected opportunities. I'm an incredibly intentional person and I like to do this planning and structure. I'm sure you're all surprised by that. Uh, and so sometimes I have to kind of remind myself that Jesus doesn't follow my plan. I, I know, right? Like, why? It's so good. And I get reminded sometimes because Jesus goes, all right, plonk. And right there in front of me is something I wasn't expecting. And it doesn't fit my neat boxes and it doesn't fit my neat, neat system. And Jesus goes, here's the person for you today. So be prepared that that might happen. Be prepared that a friend that you've been antagonistic to might come to you one day and say, I need to know what you've got. And you're like, I can barely bear to be in the room with you and now all of a sudden you want to know Jesus? I mean, how did that happen? Be ready for that. But recognize that that may not be what normally happens. It is the exception, not the norm. What you can control is that you can normally be intentional with those who are people of peace. Be ready for other opportunities that might come your way. Look for other opportunities that might come your way. But build deep roots. Get connected in the places that you are and be intentional looking for those who welcome you into their lives and into sharing with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you didn't just send a message from heaven to tell us what to do. You sent your son. And he modeled for us how we are to follow you. I want to pray for each person that is here today that, that represents multiple people of peace. I want to pray that you would encourage us and that you would help us to be bold and to take risks in sharing your love and grace with those people in our friendship circles, our work circles, our 
right, different places we find ourselves within our orbit. Help us to be intentional about sharing this. We thank you in Jesus' name.